Are you there, listeners? It's me, Kelly. No, I got what you were doing there. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the Throwback Book Stack. I'm one of your hosts, Kelly, and since Emily didn't want to go with the bit... <laughs> not really a bit person. This is Emily, the other co-host. She's oh, not hi. introducing herself. Hi, I'm Emily. <laughs> and obviously this week we are talking about Judy Blooms. Are you there, God? It's me, Margaret. Um, it was published in 1970, and I think it's important we hit this early on because if you're talking about the YA and children's books we grew up with, you have to talk about Judy Bloom. Like, we could do a Judy Bloom podcast, except there is already a Judy Bloom podcast. <laughs> no, there is. <laughs> I believe you. <laughs> yeah, and I think especially this book, if you think about Judy Bloom and you're trying to pull a name of one of her books out of the air, Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret, is basically that book. Yeah, this is very well known, I think. Even if you didn't read it, I feel like it's one of those things where it's like, just the title alone has been parodied and like appears in popular culture and it's just like a thing. Like you have heard of this book. And it's weird too because I feel like a lot of the books that are well known like that are books that were like on the curriculum that you read in school. And this was not ever for me and I don't know of anyone who it was. It was just like a really well-known book. This is the book, yeah, you got from the library. This is the book you saw your friends reading. Um, this is the book that just sort of everyone knew about. It was one of the, probably the only books of the time that really discussed girls in puberty in a really blatant way. And I think it really resonated with a lot of people because, you know, there weren't exactly a lot of children's and preteen books in 1970 discussing getting your period. There just wasn't. Yeah. Um, and this book, as a result, is actually one of the books that's commonly known because it is also one of the books that's very commonly challenged and is often on a lot of banned book lists. On the ALA's list of the most frequently challenged books of the 90s, this book ranked number 60. And for the 2000s, it dropped down a little, but it still ranked 99, so it still came in that top 100. Man. I think this is also an interesting book to look at because I think a lot of times we are people that complain about how books get updated with their text over time. This is one that has updated its text in a way that I'm really okay with. It has updated its references to um, women's sanitary products to match the time. Has it? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you didn't notice that? Uh, I noticed that I thought they had cut a bit out that I remembered. I did not notice that, but okay. there was there were some references, like there were some, like... They were referencing Tampax, like there's some references to like adhesive pads and some things like oh. this was during the belt huh. pad era. So they yeah. Yeah, they did, they upped like, she Julie Bloom has actually gone through and like updated the references to sanitary products, which I think is actually really cool. I guess I did kind of notice that. I, I remember I didn't, I missed the weird belt pack thing because I remember reading that as a kid and mm. I thought it was interesting mm -hmm. as like a piece, but I guess I didn't realize... I guess I kind of glossed over that it was, like, adhesive pads, like... At least my, my copy was. I don't know if you had an older version. No, I think it was. I think I just didn't really pay that much attention to the fact of how they were sticking them in there. Yeah. So, overall, Judy Bloom is one of those authors that basically is known pretty much by everyone for writing books for young adults, books for preteens. Um, my first Judy Bloom was Tales of a Fourth Grade Nothing. Um, but I went through most of her books as a kid. I mean, I read this, I read Blubber, I read Forever. Yeah, I read a lot of them. We were, both me and my sibling, who were the two middle siblings, were given a copy of The One in the Middle is a Green Kangaroo, which is not a very well-known Judy Bloom book. I've never even heard of this one. Yeah, it's in the same world. I believe it's been a long time, so now I'm having trouble remembering. But I think it's in the same world as, like, the family of, like, Super Fudge and stuff. Mm-hmm. Which Wait, was... really? Because I've read, I thought I'd read all of those. Well, maybe I'm crazy, but <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's, maybe it's not it that It could family. be. I don't know. Now I'm, I'm just now remembering all of this, so I don't, but that was like about being a middle child. And like, I read a lot of her books and she was very like, because she does, she writes about the problems that you actually have as like a kid and a preteen and stuff in a way that was not very common, mm -hmm. you know? And it was like something that I think everyone could appreciate like that was the reason my parents made sure we had that book was that it was like about you know the problems of being the middle child <laughs> in a way that was like very real yeah i think this is one of the reasons that judy bloom still resonates with people that you still see people talking about judy bloom so much and the impact she had on people's childhood a couple years ago there was an essay a book of essays released by authors just talking about what judy bloom meant to them and i think 
she was really one of the people that really wanted to dive into sort of the the smaller problems of being young and it's for me I really loved fantasy books as a kid I really loved sci-fi so it's not like you know Judy Bloom was my favorite author but I read all her books because even though they weren't sort of the high adventures that really drove uh, drove me forward and really pulled me in, they were books that still meant something to me and really felt real when I read them. Yeah, I also was never like, like I did read all of her books, or almost all of them. I also think it was partly because they were kind of pushed on you because they were something that was like adults were like, you should read this. Oh. So it was like they were at all the libraries and they were, like I said, like my parents bought me a copy of that one, like. I don't think my parents so, ever bought me. I mean, I guess they might have bought me some, but at my request, I might have been at the Scholastic Book Fair and been like, I'm getting this, but no one ever suggested Judy Bloom to me as a kid. I just sort of, I mean, I guess, I mean, in the sense that, you know, you're in the library and there's a display of them and you grab them, but there was never a, like, adult that told me to read them. Yeah, I, I feel like they were more like, you know, they were always, like, copies of them in every classroom and, like, mm. always at the library and stuff, whereas some of the, like fantasy and stuff I read was more obscure and more like, I only found it at Borders. No one else had heard of it in my small town where I grew up. Like, you had to go to the big cities to get a Borders. But yeah, so obviously I read this book when I was younger. Mm-hmm. And I remember not loving it. I mean, I read it and I guess I thought it was like, okay, but it definitely wasn't for me. Like, it didn't resonate with me when I was younger. And I remember not liking the character of Margaret when I was younger. So it was... It was interesting to go back because I had no clue how I was going to feel going into it. Like, I was kind of like, I don't know. I didn't like it when I was little. I think I came in at a pretty similar pace. Like, this, if, when I look back at the Judy Bloom books that I read and really liked, it was sort of Sheila the Great, Tales of Fourth Grade Nothing. Like, that was sort of my realm. This was a book I read but didn't really have a strong affection for for the same reason. Like, I didn't understand Margaret. Her experience wasn't the same as my experience, and it wasn't something that resonated as much with me. Um, so it was really interesting to go back and read it now as an adult human, because I, I read this in elementary school, and I think I read it once, maybe twice, but then never really again. So it was really interesting to go back to it, given that, you know, I hadn't read it in so long. And I also will say that the updates is an interesting thing, because like I said, I didn't, I guess I wasn't paying close attention to the fact that some of that things have been updated. What I did notice was that it was missing the part about like the weird belt and the clips and stuff. And I was a little disappointed because it's nice that it was updated for kids today, but I remember reading it as a kid and, like, it was out of date at the time. Um, I might have had, like, an older copy, though. Mm -hmm. Like, I have no clue how, when the updates happen or how. And it was, like, fascinating to me, like, in, like, a historical relic kind of way of, like, that's the scene that really sticks out because I just remember being, like, girls had to do what? Yeah, like, I this is crazy. <laughs> I also had the I read, you know, the version where we talked about the belt. And yeah, I had my mother explain that to me cuz I'm like, "Wait, what is happening?" <laughs> yeah, right? Like it freaked me out for a second. I was like, "That's not right. I'm not crazy. We don't still do that, right?" That seems very <laughs> stressful. Yeah, so for me, I appreciate the fact that they consider this book to be a living document that is still useful to kids today. So sometimes I like most of the time I prefer a book be a historical piece, but this is one where I'm like, "You know what?" I feel fully supportive of the changes. Yeah, and it is an interesting update because they also didn't update anything else. Like, it still is very much, in a way, a period piece, Mm -hmm. although there's no, like, overt references to anything that sets it specifically in a time. It's also very specifically, I feel like, not set in this time. Yeah. So it's like, it does a weird thing where it almost is, like, floating outside of time in a weird way. There's no, like, references to, like internet or cell phones or google maps or you know what i mean things that i think would pop up if it were really set in this time yeah it makes it feel like like the updates were really deliberate to like it makes it feel like the updates were really deliberate to achieve the point of the book and not sort of about hey it's modern cell phones right because the point of the book isn't about specific how things work it's more just about the things that don't change like Mm -hmm. the weird feelings of puberty and the weird like going through these shifts and like growing older and Learning how to be nice to people. Yeah, and learning just how to to interact with other girls in a way that's, you know, in a society that makes it really complicated. Yeah. Um, So I guess we should now get into the part where we summarize the book. So if you haven't listened to our podcast before, we like to summarize the whole book so you can be part of our conversation. But it means if you haven't read this book and have somehow avoided the sort of cultural osmosis of knowing about this book over the last 40-something, 50, whatever years... Go away, read it, come back to us. And so do you want to summarize this or 
All right. Yeah, you can. What do you want to do? So this is a book about Margaret Simon. Her family has just moved to New Jersey from New York, and she is learning to fit in in school. Uh, she's just starting her new school year, and she gets to know Nancy, a girl down the street. And this book is really about her going through her school year and learning um, about life through a couple different paths. One is her and her friend Nancy and these girls at school where she gets sort of um, inducted into a club of theirs where it's four of them and they have this club and they basically sort of discuss things like boys and their periods and having bras and dealing with those sort of aspects of growing up. There also is some plot lines with her um, grandmother where basically her family has a complicated situation. Her mother was Christian. Her father was Jewish. Um, her mother's family did not support their marriage because of religious differences. And so she's been estranged from them for Margaret's entire life. And Margaret's sort of at a weird crisis of faith because she was not raised in a religion. So she's now in a town in Jersey where everyone is either Jewish or Christian and they either go to the church or the Y or they go somewhere and the Jewish community center. And she feels like she doesn't have a place. So she decides she's going to learn about religion. She goes to some Jewish services with her grandmother. She goes to some Christian services with some girls she knows. And she sort of makes it a year-long project to learn about religion and decide that basically she doesn't want to deal with any of this. And she also is dealing with... I feel like this... Man, I feel like I'm giving like a really weird summary. Well, I mean, it's because it does. It follows her her year at school, but the chronological part isn't the point. Yeah. The point is that it's about... Uh, what is happening in her life, which is her discovering boys, mm -hmm. her making these new friends, her dealing with her family's fucked up um, yeah. relationship with her grandparents, and her doing this religion thing, which she also manages to coincide with a, a like personal project at school. She's given like a year-long personal project, and she decides so, to do it about religion. So she goes to these different churches, and then in the end, even... Um, her mother sends sort of a Christmas card to her her parents because she's feeling a little nostalgic and her grandparents decide to come visit and it ends up being this big mess where they decide, oh, well, obviously you're a Christian because, you know, your mother was a Christian. It goes through the mother's line and there's a big blow up and her grandparents leave and her father's mother where they have a complicated relationship where her parents' relationship with her is a bit complicated, but she loves her grandmother and they spend a lot of time together. Her grandmother then comes to visit and sort of helps her a little bit with things. It's complicated. Basically, everyone's trying to pull her in different directions, and she's trying to figure out if she's supposed to be anything at all. Yeah, it's a year in the life, but it's a year in the life more emotionally than it is any sort of events, really. Mm -hmm. Like, it is complicated to summarize because it doesn't, like, it honestly, you could mash it up and it wouldn't be chronological and it would still have the same impact. It's really about her learning yeah. to find herself. Um, and yeah, learning about how to interact with other girls, with her group, her club, where, you know, they're all aiming to get their period first and sort of all have it. And, you know, one of the girls, Nancy, ends up lying about it to everyone. And so she's also keeping the secret for one of the other girls. And it's sort of in the end of the book, she gets her own period and is very excited. And also about her sort of learning about the boys about her class and who she's interested in. And then there's another girl, uh, Laura, who is much more developed than the rest of them. And basically, they're super mean to this girl. They spread rumors about her. They assume she's going behind the A&P with this other boy in class. And they make really horrible remarks about her and are really mean to her. And in the end, she, you know, has to do a project with this girl and doesn't, even though she's a hard worker and doing well, she doesn't really want to work with her or tell her she's doing well. And in the end, she mentions the, you know, that she'd heard she was goes behind the A&P with this boy. And, you know, Laura sort of calls her out on it and she ends up apologizing. But Laura's like, no, I'm not, you know, she basically doesn't really accept the apologies, doesn't believe it, which she shouldn't believe it. Yeah, she's kind of like, you guys suck. Do you know how hard this is for me? Like, I've been, you know, I've looked like I was older than I was since I was younger and it fucking sucks. Like, guys are always being dicks to me. Like, none of the girls will talk to me. And Margaret is even like, well, I'm just kind of jealous of you. Like, I wish I looked like that. And she's like, well, I wish you did too, because I would trade places in a minute. Like, this sucks. Peace out. Yeah. And it she has very good reason for it. And so it's a really great sort of tie up for that, because normally in this kind of story, they would become friends or something. But here it's there's actual consequences and in, in the sense of like, you know, sometimes you apologize to someone, but you fucked up and it doesn't work out. And so I think here it's just it's a very real slice of life in the year of a girl trying to figure out sort of her way through puberty. Yeah. I feel like I hit all the storylines. Is there anything I missed? No, I think it was mostly those, like, four 
Yeah, just about what it's like to be an 11 or 12-year-old at this time. All the complicated things you're going through. So what was your reaction reading it now as an adult? How did this sort of make you feel? What did you think of the characters compared to how you felt as a kid? I loved it as an adult. <laughs> I loved it. I I didn't connect with this as much when I was a kid, even though I vividly remember like one or two scenes. And I think it was just because as a kid, I didn't identify with Margaret, which like I still don't. But now as an adult, like looking at her as a child, I like really like her more because I don't have to be like, I don't have to identify with her. I just have to be like, oh, poor girl. Like, it'll get better. I want to, like, give you a hug and be like, it's going to be okay. Like, and I really did love it. Like, and it, even though I know I didn't, as a kid, go through the exact same things and, like, have that kind of the struggles, I do just, it makes you realize all the complicated things that are going through a kid's head that I think you sometimes forget as an adult. Like, that they do have a lot going on, even though it seems like, you're always like, oh, you have it easy now. It's so idyllic. You don't have to pay bills. And it's like, yeah, but you're really struggling for the first time in your life with these kind of emotions and these kind of like things that are going on that aren't just like, I got a new toy. And it's like, it's hard. It's really hard. And I really love this book. <laughs> I had a similar reaction. One of the first things I got into in the first chapter was there was this moment where just how Judy Bloom writes I suddenly was reading it and I just felt like someone had put a warm blanket over me and I was holding hot cocoa. Like, there's just something about how Judy Bloom writes that just feels comforting and it feels like going home and it just feels like some sort of person that's just genuinely cares about these characters and cares about kids and cares about their feelings. And it just, like, there's this comfy feeling when reading Judy Bloom that, like, as you're a kid, you're just reading it. And as an adult, I'm like... This is like the warm old blanket from grandma that I'm just like snuggling up with on a cold day. Yeah. Like this book was just, the, just the language itself was viscerally comforting. And then when the book, I, I loved it too. Especially now with sort of the benefit of hindsight and being an adult, I understand a lot more about Margaret. And especially, you know, she's just moved this town. And as a kid, I was like, well, she's just being kind of mean. But I get now as an adult, what it's like when you just want friends and you end up with people just because you want to make friends and you're both, you're all trying to prove something to each other without knowing you don't have to because it's really hard to neg negotiate being a girl and it's really hard to navigate how to interact this way and sort of seeing now as an adult how these relationships play out in high school and play out in college and that how this all sort of ends in a way when you yeah. sort of learn to grow up and have adult female friendships seeing that seed that now is really familiar to me. I'm like, I get how sometimes you want so badly to like girls and you all want to feel like this older girl. And so you, yeah, you, you talk about boys, even though you don't really know what's going on. And you talk about your period, even though, you know, you're not really sure what's going on. And you just want to be this person that you're trying so hard to be. And I just, I, I felt for Margaret so much. And yeah. especially her religion stuff was something I had no clue about as a kid. Because I think I've mentioned before that I was not really raised in religion, just like Margaret. Except, like, I didn't really care about it until, you know, junior high, like, after I'd read this book. So I did kind of have my own spiritual journey when I was, like, 13, which now sort of resonated a lot with what she ended up doing. And I also feel for her about having, like, going to all these religious services. People are kind of trying to woo you into it because I had a similar experience when I went to, like, family religious events. And you're just like, oh, the music's nice. I'm going to look at all the fancy hats people are wearing because I don't really know what's going on. And so I had a lot of resonance with her about after having gone to family communion, first communions when I was um, younger. I think it's a good point about, like, I remember, I think one of the best things about getting older and making my friends, like, the reason I think most of my closest friends, at least, and I know there are people who have friends from when they were younger and, like, you know, grew up together or whatever. I'm not saying that doesn't happen, but most of my friends and definitely all my closest friends I've made either in college or after mm -hmm. and it's because that's when I started being friends with people who I actually liked instead of just like oh you're around the the friendship between her and Nancy who is the girl who just happens to live next door to the new house they moved to and they're in the same class and like it's convenient and they have things in common but she kind of almost doesn't like Nancy. At one point, she talks about how she feels guilty after she says all these mean things to Lara. And she's like, I was being mean, just like Nancy. Like, 
and it's real. Like, that's what it felt like, where it was like, I have to be friends with these people because they're the only people around. Or they're just the people that you happen to meet first or whatever, but they're not actually the people you would choose to be friends with out of everyone in the world. Yeah, I definitely had friends that were friends because, well, we're in the same club, so we might as well be friends and, you know, or like our siblings are friends, so we should be friends. And, you know, none of mine were really antagonistic, but they're people that, you know, I may not have made friends with on my own. And yeah, I have the same situation where I don't really have any friends yeah. from before. I have a couple from high school, kind of, but we're not super close. Yeah, I and have... most of my friends after because, like, also, like, I didn't know how to make friends until after college. Like, I didn't know. Yeah, I didn't know how to make friends with people that we have shared interests and in are compatible personalities. And so, and I didn't know how to make deep, lasting friendships until after. And I feel like this book really, I think, really accurately shows what it's like making friends when you're young and how hard it is. I think that most of the people I'm still, like, friends with from when I was younger, and even in counting, like, high school and stuff, like, I love them and they're interesting people in their own ways, but it's more just, like, at this point, part of it is just because they knew me at that time, Mm -hmm. where it's like, we have this history that you can't replicate with the people, but it's definitely, it's a different sort of friendship Yeah. than the people who I met later and we became friends with because we just clicked. Like you. I met you when we were later. I know. And I'm so glad we're friends. Aw, me too. I also agree with what you said about her writing. I I actually wrote it where it's like, A, like, she just has a good flow. This book was way funnier than I remember. Yeah. I think a lot of the jokes went over my head as a kid. And I don't mean that in, like, they were, like, a weird innuendo or something. But, like, I feel like there's a lot of dry humor There's a lot of things that Margaret says that made me laugh in the weird way that, like, drove me crazy as a kid. Like, when adults laugh at things you say, and it's not, you're like, that wasn't funny. But, like, it is. (laughs) Oh, and even just, like, her parents do that sometimes, where she's like, we'll talk about her mom, like, kind of, like, smiling at something she said or something. And I'm like, I am with you, Margaret's mom. (laughs) Like, um, I wrote down this one line, because I think that it kind of, encapsulates for me how encapsulates that's not a word encapsulates encapsulate thank you are we gonna go back to our our romeo and juliet podcast I got romeo and juliet because we're like encapsulate are we I discussing know. paul rudd again as paris because i'm into this <laughs> aren't we all uh this one line i think really encapsulates <laughs> i was gonna say it right this time uh the i trust way... you it's okay you're my podcasting partner <laughs> uh the way she writes where it's just like Margaret waiting for one of the other parents to pick her up to take them all to a dance. And she wrote, Mr. Wheeler tooted his horn at quarter to five. And I love that it's like, it's one little sentence and it's kind of a throwaway. It's not any sort of plot point or big detail, but that's the way she always writes Mm -hmm. in this way of like, she could have written at quarter to five, Mr. Wheeler honked his horn and I ran outside. And instead the fact that she was like, tooted his horn, it's just like such a nice little way of like, Everything you phrase is like, oh, this is great. There's yeah, there's like, just like this delightful lightness and like slight quirk to the the phrasing where she uses exactly enough words, no more, no less, and she gives the space for the text to breathe and the characters to really just be in it. I love it. So Margaret. Yeah, I mean I didn't identify with her, yeah. but I did like her in the sense that like she's got a she's got a lot going on. I felt for her. She tries so hard to be thoughtful and she just doesn't have Like, she's kind of missing a little bit of that backbone where it's, like, especially in, like, Lord knows I love, like, a good, strong female character. But, like, it is a little bit, like, interesting and honest to me to get a character who, like, wants to stand up to Nancy but won't because she doesn't want to rock the bow. Or, like, thinks Laura might be okay but knows that, like, like, she gives into peer pressure every single time it's presented, you know, and, like... And so it's like, I kind of feel for her. And it's just like, as a kid, I was kind of like, I don't like you because I wasn't that kid. Like, even if it meant I had no friends and I had a miserable, like, years during middle school age, I would not give in to things. And so I don't think I identified with her as a kid. But now that I'm adult, I'm kind of like, this is an interesting character. Like, it's hard. I get it. Sometimes you want to give in and you just do that. I, yeah, I was in the same situation where I didn't, you know, I was a very brawly tomboy kid i didn't give in and so i didn't see myself in her i'm like your club about bras and boys no like how is it but honestly looking back at my middle school self i definitely see more of myself in her because that was when i stopped sort of defending myself and it was when i really did spend a lot more time 
compromising for people and, you know, sort of acquiescing to people and really not calling people out and giving people space where even if I knew something, I didn't agree with something or someone was being a bully, I didn't say anything. And so I definitely actually was wondering a lot of ways, like, would this book have made more sense to me if I'd read it in sixth grade than when I read it in like fourth grade? I mean, would that have sort of changed when I was in a point where, you know, I had spent a bit more time with those weird pressures that have really sort of taken me to be a bit more of the person that doesn't say anything. Yeah, and I think I did read it when I was a little bit older, like maybe not older, but like around the same age as her. And that was maybe one of the reasons I didn't like her because I was like, look, I have basically zero friends. Everyone thinks I'm the weirdo because I don't give in to these things. And like, fuck you, Margaret. <laughs> like, But you know, like now I'm like, I have a little bit more, I guess, compassion and empathy for her. And I'm like, I get what you're going through. We both had tough times and we both had our own way of doing it. I was the super shy, quiet kid in middle school, which yeah. I know is not believable now because I'm the very loud, <laughs> like, angry person as an adult. I know. It's like, I don't know what to say to that. <laughs> I've been... I'm pretty much the exact same person, including the same height. I still wear some of the same clothes I wore in middle school. Oh, yeah. It will not surprise you to know. And that was actually one <laughs> thing that weirdly resonated with me is because, yeah, like I got super tall. I was always super tall. I got hips and boobs in sixth grade and that was that I developed in sixth grade and like I basically hit sort of, you know, similar proportions to where I'm at yeah. now. I've just, you know, put on a lot of weight since then, but the proportions are similar. <laughs> well, that was the other thing I was going to say was that I don't, I never identify with that part of her either because like, well, I have two older siblings, uh, two older sisters, I mm -hmm. should say. Like, I knew about periods and stuff, and I didn't ever want mine. I was really upset when it finally happened, because I was like, this yeah. is forever. Like, <laughs> Oh my god, I was hoping, because like, you know, like, I knew that sometimes you get one, and then like, you don't for a while, like, sometimes it's like sporadic for a while, so I'm like, when I got mine, I was so angry, and I'm like, okay, maybe I just won't get it again for like another five years. Like, maybe this was a fluke? It was not a fluke. <laughs> It was, yeah, um, I was dreading it. Like, I had zero interest in having a bra. I had zero interest in having my yeah. period. It all seemed terrible. Well, and I was also a tomboy. Not really, but in that time period, anyone who likes, who's a girl and likes any sort of sport ever. But it was that time period of life and, uh, you know, pre-2000, I think, was a little bit more. When it was like, if you like sports at all, you're a tomboy and that's yeah. the box you're going to get shoved in. And so, like, I did not want to wear a bra and when I had to, I was very upset about it. Like, I didn't identify at all with Margaret wanting that. I mean, now I still really don't, but I'm also like, I get that some girls want that. Yeah, <laughs> and it, yeah, for me, like, I never associated getting a bra with any sort of positive emotions. It was a thing I had to do, like, going upstairs was becoming less comfortable, <laughs> and I was an active kid. And a uh, weird creep note... Uh, I had a teacher in sixth grade that required all the girls to wear bras. What? Yeah. That seems illegal. <laughs> it's one of those things at the time that, like, was weird. It, even in sixth grade, we're like, this seems weird. It was one of those things at the time that seemed weird and now seems especially creepy. But, oh, yeah, no, we were told in this class that we were, all the girls were required to wear bras. And we're just like, like, we didn't know you couldn't make that rule. We didn't get, to, like, who to tell. But know. also, speaking of inappropriate teachers, so the teacher in this book. Aren't I always? <laughs> I can't. So there's a teacher in the book. Yeah. Okay. First off, he is so young, which is a detail you do not get when you're younger. No. And they... It's something that resonates with me now, especially because like when I graduated college, I had friends who became teachers. So I had friends that were teaching junior high and high school students when I was in my mid twenties. And I realized these jokers I get drunk with on the weekend are teaching children. It's like horrifying when you're an adult. Cause it's like in the, I glossed over she has a teacher who's a... He's a new teacher. He's a new teacher. And on the first day, he tells them it's his first year as a teacher and he's 25. And when you're a kid, you're just kind of like, whatever. And you gloss over that detail. And now I'm just like, you're a baby. <laughs> and also, you... don't tell them it's your first year teaching. No. Even Margaret notes on that. She's like, well... Because like the class as a whole pulls like some like mild pranks and like... They sense the blood little. in the water. Yeah. Even she is like, that's what you get for being a first year teacher. <laughs> Which, good, yeah, don't tell them that. Also, everything he does comes off as so young that it's actually viscerally upsetting. Like, one of the first things is he has them fill out a questionnaire about themselves. And one of the things is, like, one of the statements is male teachers are. So it's, like, pulling out the stereotypes about male teachers, which is a super real thing. Like, that's totally a thing with elementary schools and junior highs. But it's weird to have your students do a thing on that day one. Also, I pulled a quote from it I would like to share. Um, so after Margaret, like, they ask what people hate, and Margaret gives a list of things she hates, and one of the things is religious holidays. And so then, quote, The next day after school, Mr. Benedict called me up to his desk. 
Margaret, he said, I'd like to discuss your getting-to-know-you paper. For instance, why do you hate religious holidays? No teacher would ask that nowadays. Yeah. Like, I can't see a teacher, especially he deep dives with her, like, asking yeah. questions about religion. I didn't like it. More than is very comfortable for me, like, even as an adult, even with a teacher I knew, let alone a teacher you've just met. Like, yeah. I can't imagine anyone getting away with that nowadays. It was weird. He does things all the time in here that make me uncomfortable, and his he has them do a year-long project on a personal thing that they don't even have to tell him the topic. That's not an assignment. <laughs> I wrote a note on this. When it's, like, talking about the individual projects, I was like, this project seems really vague. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's literally, like, do something on anything. There's what? no instructions. There's no guidelines. There's no, like, meeting with him throughout the year to, like, make sure you're doing something. She basically writes, like, a letter as her thing. Like, it's not something where there's any sort of, like, format given for them to present it in. He doesn't tell them how long it has to be, what, if there is any sort of, like, general form, like, I format for the presentations or if they are a presentation or a paper or what as a kid i liked a certain amount of structure to know what an assignment would be i would have gone insane and run out of this man's class screaming there's also a point where they like all the whole class groans when he reminds them about it or something and it's like the quote is like mr benedict looked crushed i had hoped you would find this interesting he said and it was like dude sense your weakness i know i literally wrote my notes i was like you gotta toughen up like (laughs) Kids t- like are gonna groan at assignments. There's never any point where we are given confidence in him as a teacher, or where he really shows himself as a teacher that you know becomes an ally to Margaret in any way, or really does anything that seems useful. And it just reminds me how many of my friends are teachers, and how viscerally upsetting it is that how many of these people I get drunk with, and then they go shape young minds. Well, you know, they're um, all good people, and they're very smart. So like, I'm excited they're teachers and teaching young people, but I'm also like. I'm in my 30s and I'm a dumbass. Like, there are people my age, like, shaping youth. I don't know how this works anymore. Yeah, I still imagine that all teachers are older than me. The family dynamics, religion aside, were really interesting to read as an adult. Because I, again, breezed over them as a kid. But, like, this poor girl has two fucked up set of grandparents. Yeah. Like, I mean, I guess... They're all using her as a a basically a pawn in a battle. Like, her mom's grandparents haven't talked to her in 14 years, and then, like, show up out of nowhere, kind of, and they're also just still kind of dicks. Like, they don't really care. Oh, they're totally dicks. And then her grandma is, like, overly invested to the point where she's always, like, undermining her parents in a way. Like, Margaret doesn't see it because she's a child, and she just sees that her, like, grandma loves her. But it's, like, these weird politics of her grandma trying to, like, get around things and, like, There's make a lot her, of don't like, tell your mother and don't tell your parents yeah. these things, which is, like, you can't... You can't tell that to a kid. You just can't do like, that. As an adult, I was like, this is fucked up. And, like, Margaret's going to have to go to therapy when she's older and talk all about her grandma. <laughs> like, And I feel bad for her parents who are clearly trying not to, like, they want Margaret to love her grandma. Like, they don't want to be like, don't listen to her. But they're also like, you're clearly trying to undermine us and make us the bad guy. And that you're the like, oh, you're my only one. And, like, it's screwed up. I yeah. feel bad for them. <laughs> like, I, I mean, I... In the choice between bad grandparents, I definitely go with her her grandmother, you know, who is at least interested in her life and attempting to make things okay. But, oh, yeah, no, she's fucked up and tries a lot of horrible things. Yeah, it's interesting that they they made it that it's, like, so extreme. Like, it's one who's overly invested and tries to, like, be the, like, one and only versus the ones who have literally been absent for 14 years. (laughs) Although it's weird because to me it didn't seem extreme. I guess I've just, like, known too many people with really fucked up relationships with their grandparents. So to me, actually, reading that, I was like, oh yeah, this all makes sense. Like, to me, that actually seemed a normal level of extreme. Yeah. I mean, I guess it's not, like... She's not doing anything that made the parents be like, you can't see her anymore. Yeah, so you have, okay, your shitty anti-Semitic grandparents, and then you have your shitty, like over-invested, trying to steal you as a surrogate daughter grandparents. Like, yeah. <laughs> there's way too many cases of both these things. So to me, it was all like, oh yeah, that's, you know, grandparents you see a lot. <laughs> I now realize I had some friends with some terrible grandparents. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I don't... Shout out, my grandparents are pretty okay, I guess. <laughs> they were all pretty cool about the, like, marrying a Catholic or whatever. <laughs> like, I just had a lot of friends who honestly spent more time discussing problems with their grandparents than with their parents. I, I don't know what this means about me. Well, yeah, like, as an adult, I really resonated with the struggles her parents had of trying to deal with their daughters going through a bunch of stuff, like, they're going through stuff, and I was like, oh, man, the parents, parents, I got you. I understand where you're you're at. I feel for you. And then I realized I'm old. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, it's what we've run into a lot on here is being old and identifying more with the parents now than the kids. <laughs> like, even as someone who doesn't have kids, like, I I still was like, I get you. You and me, we'll go out for drinks later. Just some random thoughts at the very beginning. There's a line where she, when Nancy first comes over and meets Margaret and is like, oh, hey, I live down the street. We're going to be friends. Uh, she tells her that the real estate agent sent out a sheet on you. <laughs> Yeah, that sounded sketchy as hell. Was that I, a thing in the 70s? I literally wrote down, this feels super illegal. <laughs> I mean, I guess if you were like in a HOA kind of environment, but even still, yeah, what kind of sheet do you send out with informative personal information? I mean, I am not a homeowner. I will never be a homeowner with the way my life is going. But I assume you don't get like deets from the neighborhood. Yeah, that does not. Like you put, also like, were there no sex offenders in the 70s? Like, do not go around putting notices in people's mailbox that there's a 12-year-old girl moving in. Like, what is happening? <laughs> Another thing, there's like a really casual attitude towards Playboy magazines in this book that's kind of weird. No, that's, that's, I mean, that's... I mean, again, of the period and stuff, but yeah. like, I thought the weird part was like, they referenced it a couple of times, but the one part, they're over at their house and they're like talking to Margaret and she's like, well, my dad gets it. And they're like, go, go get one then. And she like literally goes to the magazine rack in the living room and was like, oh, it's not here anymore. <laughs> yeah, that is weird. <laughs> right? That would not be the place you should be keeping your Playboys. Like, I guess my dad started moving it to the super sketchy place by the nightstand under the table in their bedroom. I was like, ah. Uh. That's where it always should be. <laughs> So that was great. I just wanted to point out there's a lot of little, like, like, there have been updates to some things, and I think one of the things that sets it in this time period is a lot of the little details that she writes in about the furnishings in people's houses, and as someone whose aesthetic is very Golden Girls, I loved every single (laughs) reference. Nancy's house sounds dope as hell. In the beginning, she talks about how Nancy has one of those dressers that's, like, a heart-shaped mirror. Yeah. With, like, a vanity with, like, a skirt, like, a fluffy skirt wrapped around it. Um, there's also a reference later to everything in Nancy's house, all the furniture, having lion's paw for feet. (laughs) And I was just like, your house sounds amazing. (laughs) (laughs) I have a very important detail, as long as we're doing other notes, that I would like to bring in. Can we discuss the names of the women's sanitary products in this book? Yes. I would like to think someday you and I could run some sort of corporation called the Private Lady Company. Yeah, right? What? There's like a battle between like pads in this book and they have like a presentation, like they have, you know, the video that, you know, you know, the video on sex and yeah. menstruation. Where they specifically tell them that they do not recommend using like tampons at that age. I mean, that's a recommendation kids got when I was yeah. of the of the video age. Really? We didn't get that. Well, yeah, we were told like, these are something you might not want to use till you're older. They were like, you can use whatever you want. It's no biggie. Did I, I mean, some girls to... find it uncomfortable. Yeah, and I get yeah. that, and I was super scared of them. Plus, like, you, it's but also, did... like, trusting kids who remember to change them in the fashion that That's you don't true. end up with, like, toxic shock syndrome. That was weird to me that they, I don't know, the way they phrased it, I think, in the book kind of squicked me out. But maybe it was just, like, because they were, for, well, like, a Catholic school, they were weirdly liberal about a lot of things. And, like, the sex ed was actually, like, pretty okay. Mm-hmm. It was, like, kind of, like... We will be as close to saying abstinence only as we have to be to get the archdiocese, like, to approve this. But we're also gonna tell you about these other things, just so you know they're there. What struck me as weird with the thing about not using tampons was because this was basically being presented by ladies from the private lady company. So it felt more like, we're not in that line of products, so we are attempting to, like, steer you away for capitalist reasons. So it felt to me more like shady business practices. That's a good point. Also, it, so, the, yeah, their brand is called the Private Lady Company. And they have, I like, I want a, you all to sit with this image for a moment of you're in a store. And you're going down that aisle in the back corner that they put in the worst place to find in any store. So you are miserable trying to figure out where you can get your tampons. 
It's always in the back of a CVS somewhere where you can't find it. I it's really hate this. It's always insultingly close to diapers. Yeah. And it's also like, sometimes it's like the back wall in the darkest corner. And I'm like, I'm sorry. Like if I'm coming here to get like a bottle of wine, a box of tampons and like a thing of Advil, you better put them all next to each other. <laughs> Fuck you. But yeah. So like if you're going there and you see like Kotex and Tampax and a lot of like words with X's and like weird sort of like swirly logos and very like comforting but not too aggressive like bold like color lines a lot of like cyan and teal and then you just see something that says private lady company like search your heart for what that feeling would be i love the fact they spend the rest of the book basically hating on private lady company and just being like we don't want this near our vaginas they're all supporters of the biggest competitor of private lady company (laughs) wait for it teen softies (laughs) Teenage softies, you know, that thing you definitely also want to put by your vagina. I don't want any of these things in my pants. Look, your two choices are private ladies or teen softies. What do you pick? (laughs) I hate all of them. It is a pretty funny detail. It's also totally unnecessary to have so much drama between these two, but it comes up quite a lot. They could have picked, like, a random word. Like, if they named their company some sort of random word from, like some sort of European language, no one would question it because, like, the brand names for the most part are things that but are, you know, like, context also, where you're just like, I don't, that means nothing. Well, they also specifically shout out Tampax. Yeah. <laughs> what? But that was an update. Yeah. So they might have been just yes. been like, this is... Um, they also, I want to say that one of the things that makes it kind of, like, I think it was an update. I actually don't know. Dated? I don't know. Tampax has maybe been around for a while. You has know, it? It I might did... not have been an update. I just assumed it was because I assumed that you went throughout Tampax unless that was, like, a new name throw in there. I don't know. Like, maybe they were the, for a while, like, maybe that's why it's called, I, I What's guess. What's the history I of I do Tampax? not know the history of this. I just assumed all... they would have given it a random name that's, like, you know, like, Lady Insertion or something. Gross. Okay. <laughs> You're no longer allowed to keep up, to make up fake names for this. That's, That's a, a good terrible question. name. What would you name a tampon company that would be in alignment with Teenage Softies and... Yeah, so the bar right now is Lady <laughs> in Searchin, so you got a really low bar to get over. So there's one point when one of her friends, Gretchen, I want to say, yeah. gets her period for the first time, and her mom has, like, no pads around, which I was like, I call bullshit on that. Like, what's happening? You I don't mean, have any... If you use tampons, like, you don't necessarily... I guess maybe... Also, you have a teen daughter. I don't know. Anyway. That's true. Like, so, if I had a teen daughter, I would probably be like, like, the second she hit, like, third grade, be like, I'm just gonna, like, keep a stash of these. Like, they don't go bad, do they? I don't think so. How can they? They were, like, cotton back then. Yeah. Anyway, so she gets her period for the first time, and her mom doesn't have any pads. Well, so especially, she, like, I guess, especially if she has friends coming over. Like, you, yeah. You're a teen girl. Keeps, keeps them around. I always have everything. Because I'm That's always true. like, it's what polite. if someone else needs something? I have, like, a like, nice, like, display know, cup in my bathroom with, like, Even just, tampons. like, in my purse and stuff. Do you know yeah. how many times I've helped out a stranger? Oh, yeah. That's neither here nor there. Yeah. My point is, is that her mom calls the drugstore and they get it delivered in an hour. And I was like, is that still a service? That's so cool. <laughs> like, that's, like, something that Amazon brags about now. And back in the day, you could just call up any random drugstore and have them deliver that? Like, uh, yeah, <laughs> apparently. Sorry, Amazon Prime. Like, you're out. <laughs> That's so great! Why does that? Why did that go away? I don't know. Are we not living in the future? <laughs> like I... we went back and now we're forward. Now we can have drones drop well, off. No, I our feel pads. like people are now just repeating ideas that we already had. Yeah. Like I used to be able to have the drugstore deliver things within an hour, and then they took that away, and now they're all like, "You got two day delivery," and I'm excited. Or same day delivery. That doesn't even tell you what time it's going to be there. Changing goalposts. Anyway. I just wanted to hit on that point because it really, I was like, what? Yeah, I also thought, I was like, you can't, like, also my reaction was, you don't just drive down there? Yeah, right? No, because they'll deliver to you, Kelly. I mean, that's true. If I had, like, Instead, yeah, hour delivery. Instead, she made her teen daughter sit there with a washcloth in her underwear for an hour <laughs> while she waited for someone Which, to deliver that. that's the that. other thing. Like, a washcloth seems incredibly abrasive yeah. and uncomfortable. Like, Didn't why would you roll have, up toilet like, paper? Kleenex? You roll up toilet paper. Yeah, I mean, we've all been there. Yeah. Uh, she goes to this fancy dinner party at one point. And it is nuts because, well, first off, I never went to a fancy dinner party as a kid. So. No! But but they also, like, the boys immediately, like, go berserk. Like, they take, they're blowing mustard out of straws at the ceiling and stuff. And it's like, like, I believe that teen boys would do this. But I was also just like, what is happening? And then there's, like, they play, like, spin the bottle and stuff. Yeah. I don't know. The whole scene, I feel, was supposed to be very pivotal. And it was very... That was another one where I was like, I don't have any experiences that were like this to compare. Like, I never went to a fancy party 
at that age. See, I never I went definitely... to a fancy party at that age because, yes, that is also wild to me. But I do remember, like, the first time I went to a party that was, like, you know, a boy-girl party. And it was at some at this guy's house. And, you know, like, his mom wasn't really paying much attention. And we kind of had the run of the mill over, like, the downstairs basement area and the garage. Mm-hmm. And, like... I think that was the first time where... I think my only problem with this book... Is there a sequel to this book or something? Because it did not wrap up basically any of the plot lines. I do real quick, though, want to hit one other point about that party. Well, okay. Okay. Oh, sorry. Because I was like, there's a couple things that I'm kind of like, I want to know how this resolved. And one of them was that all the girls have a crush on the cutest boy in class, Mm -hmm. Philip. He seems like a real D-bag. He is shitty as fuck. And they never really address if they ever kind of figure this out. And one of the reasons why is at the party where they play, like... Do we have the same quote? Maybe. <laughs> they play this, like, two minutes in the closet It's game. seven minutes in heaven, but two minutes, so yeah. apparently... Yeah, it's not... Adjusted for inflation by the time we were in... Oh, that's a good point. Yeah. Um, two minutes got you a lot farther and... back in the 70s. And so Philip gets to go in with the girl, Laura, who's, like, the most developed girl in the class and is, like, has a weird reputation just because she looks more like a woman... And this quote really It's why Judy Bloom is so like, fucking good, though. And it's such a throwaway that I never got when I was little. And now that I'm older and reading it, I was just like, oh, God, that poor girl. Like, what happened? What did he say or do? And it says, when they came out, Philip was still smiling, but Laura wasn't. And it's like, it's one sentence. And it just like... And this is why Judy Bloom is amazing. Because exactly, when you're a kid and these things happen, you don't have the language or the context or the experience to really know what this is necessarily so like i feel like that puts it in a way that is perfect like it's exactly yeah. what they're seeing and as an adult you see it and you're fucking viscerally horrified on every level yeah because you're basically a part where this girl just yeah it's a real roller coaster of emotions because later on in that party like margaret goes into the closet with one of the guys that she like doesn't really like he kind of is into her a little bit and I think she has a lot of really funny lines in this book and this is one of them because um Margaret's not thrilled to be in there and he goes says after he closed the door he said I really like you Margaret how do you want me to kiss you on the cheek and fast I said (laughs) (laughs) such a great line it's so good (laughs) and then later she's lying about so she went in the closet with two boys I guess and the other one kissed her like twice really fast but on the lips and she's talking about it to her friend Nancy, who they have that, like, frenemy-type friendship. And at this point, she's, like, lying just to, like, this make it sound cool. This book is the OG Mean Girls. Like, and, it's just, it's, yeah. And Nancy was like, you know, like, how was he? And she was like, pretty good, I said. How many times, she asked. About five. I lost count. I told her. And I love that, like, line of, like... It's so real. That's I what know. gets me about this book. Is that like, so real? Who hasn't had that conversation with a friend about like a guy that they were or a girl that they were with, just being like exaggerating it just a little? So it's like it's still kind of believable, but like, oh no, it was great. Oh I yeah, feel, like <laughs> this book is so real in their interactions, and it's just very painful to read it as an adult because it's it's too it's too real. It's too real, guys. I know. What other thoughts do I have? Uh, there's a throwaway line that I just want to shout out where she's writing a letter to her grandma and talking about this. it snowed in New Jersey. And she's like, but snow is more fun in New Jersey than in New York. For one thing, it's cleaner. And I was like, that is, as someone who lived in New York, that is so true. So uh, one thing I did really like is I like that the sort of titular are you there, God, is she talks to God throughout it. And it's sort of her way of sorting out her thoughts. And I love that it's a really cool mechanism to let us see her internal monologue in a way where she's both presenting to an audience, but not really. Um, And there's one quote I just really liked about it I want to share. That's, my parents don't know I actually talk to God. If I told them, they'd think I was some kind of religious fanatic or something. So I keep it very private. I can talk to him without moving my lips if I have to. My mother says God is a nice idea. He belongs to everybody. And I feel like that's such the kind of thing she goes through throughout the book where She's trying to figure out what religion means to her. And she keeps going to these churches and not finding something that she's not sure she's looking for. But it's something she'll know when she sees it. And overall, just she talks to God. And that's where she sort of finds what she's looking for. Is He's he's an audience she has when she doesn't know who she can talk to about things in an honest yeah. way. Yeah, I think that's a good point. And like, as someone who was raised religious, I think that I don't have a lot of problems with religion. Like some people do when they're forced on them because I don't feel like anyone in my life was overbearing about it 
And it was, I will say, a good outlet of, like, all that, like, forcing you to pray and, like, we used to have to meditate in, like, grade school and middle school and stuff. It seemed terrible at the time, but it did give you a little bit of, like, introspection and, like, something that you can, like, you know, almost the same thing as, like, therapy or something. Learning to meditate at a very young age ended up being very helpful to me as an adult and stuff. I went to hippie schools and they never taught us to meditate. I'm now really sad. I know, right? It was great. (sighs) Um, (laughs) It's that kind of thing where it's like, I get it, especially at a young age. Like, you know, if you're not religious, that's fine. But there is something to be said for, I guess it's more just being the spiritual side, which can also just be a connection to yourself. Mm -hmm. Like, it is great to have that kind of, as if you're talking to an external force as if you're saying the things you would never say to a friend or parent, but it feels like you're getting them out there to someone. And that praying is just a form of you, like, sifting through those things. Mm -hmm. Really brings that to the forefront of, like, even if you don't necessarily have this, like, it is just a way of kids sorting out their ideas. Mm -hmm. Well, I just like the idea that, you know, God is a nice idea. He belongs to everyone. And this sort of idea she's getting through of trying to figure out what's the right path? I mean, there's one point where she's talking about, you know, she won't raise her kid without religion because 12 is a terribly old age to learn. But I kind of get that because, yeah, I felt like when I was searching for religion at 12 and 13, like, oh God, I'm so far behind. Yeah. But also like I was raised by the world's most practical Catholic. My mother was like, you know what? Just be a good person. It'll all work out if you just be a good person. That's what you're supposed to do. And like, that goes beyond religion. Like that's just a basic tenet of, you know, be nice. I want to say at the end... When she is forced to be in a group with the guy who she, like, the hot guy who she has a kind of crush on. Not really, though. She just is like, he's hot. We're supposed to like him. And even has a dialogue at one point about how she doesn't want to tell Nancy the person she really has a crush on. Because she's afraid Nancy will make fun of her. Which is, like, very real. Also. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> like, yeah. Um, I feel like everyone has done that when they're younger. Oh, yeah. Um, There's, yeah. Yeah, but <laughs> I remember exactly who those boys were and who I didn't tell about them. Right? <laughs> but um, she's also in a group with Laura, and it's all this, like, dialogue about how, like, she actually really likes Laura and gets along with her and then has to keep catching herself and being like, but I wouldn't tell her, but I think she's, like... And they get in that fight, and she ends up basically, like, slut-shaming her. And at the one point, she realizes that that's wrong, and she's kind of running after her to be like, you know, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said those things, and also, like you know, tell her that she fucked up. And she says to her, look, I'm not saying it's wrong to do those things. And I really love that line. That <laughs> It was like, like, she still at that point thinks that Laura has been like sneaking around with all the boys. And I like that she was like, look, I'm not saying that that's a bad thing. <laughs> like, and it's, it's lovely. I mean, even though she's totally wrong. And like, that's obviously just rumors that other girls made up. It was nice. I have so many points about this book. I just loved everything. And there's all these little things. Like, there's just, like, a lot of really funny book parts and, like, lines. Like, I think this has a lot of humor. (laughs) At one point, I had this quote I really loved where she was like, Later, when I was getting ready for bed, I walked into the closet thinking it was a bathroom. Would I ever get used to living in this house? (laughs) Made me laugh. Like, she's coming from a small New York apartment and has never lived in, like, a big house in the suburbs. And that line was, like, really great. Um, This was just a delight to read. Are there any other quotes that you feel like you really resonated with? I liked at one point the boy that she has a real crush on. (laughs) She says that he walked away singing his favorite song about the Erie Canal. (laughs) There's only one song I know about the Erie Canal, and it's like a super, like, it's like a folk song from like the 1800s. And I was like, if that's his favorite song, that's amazing. (laughs) (laughs) I was about to make fun of you for knowing a song about the Erie Canal, and then I realized I know a song about the Erie Canal. Is it the same song? I think so. His name is Sal? Yeah. Right, left, right, on the Erie Erie Canal. Canal. Yeah! Okay. (laughs) So that's definitely his favorite song. I know! Who has that as their favorite song? (laughs) I have a quote that I like that is very short and simple. It's, Mm -hmm. quote, It's not so much that I like him as a person, God, but as a boy, he's very handsome. (laughs) I also highlighted that! (laughs) I was like, I get you. I get you, girl. Oh. Yeah, I think that's about it. It's weird how it ends. I do kind of want to address how, like, because it's a book that doesn't really have a plot and it's really just, like, a slice of life, it does technically end on, you know, a plot point of she gets her period and, like, she'd been practicing putting on pads for two months, so she was, you know, knew what she was, she was doing, but, and it sort of ends with her talking to God and saying, quote, are you still there, God? It's me, Margaret. I know you're there, God. I know you wouldn't have missed this for anything. 
thank you, God. Thanks an awful lot. And it's just such a weird sort of, it doesn't, it doesn't really end on a note. Like it ends just sort of, she gets her period and it's over. And it's very weird to me, especially, especially now as an adult, that that's kind of the catalyst to end the book. Like I get that it is, but it's also that nothing really happens. Yeah, I was, I mean, I touched on this earlier that like, I was like, is there a sequel? Because now I want to know how all these things wrap up. And so like, I'm of two minds because I kind of like as a writer that she didn't wrap anything up. Mm -hmm. I was like, this is how life is sometimes. Like this was one year in life of, a girl, and that's how it ends. And it's, yeah, her going hand, through like, sort of this, like, milestone of moving to this milestone of her first period, and it's sort of going through this emotional cycle in her life. Sure, but there's, like, so many things I want to know. I no. want to know more about her relationship with Nancy, because she was kind of, like, starting to realize that she didn't like Nancy much. I want to know what happened with that. I want to know what happened with Laura, if she ever does become friends, or, like, because it seems like she gets along with Laura way more than Nancy. Um, I wanted to know what happened with the paper, that, like, year-long project that they did. Yeah. There was, like, she turned in a letter, but a lot of other people turned in, like, a, like, binder full of, like, info. It felt like and, on, like, every plot point they edited in the second to last stage, which I kind of like. Like, yeah, yeah. it put her in a position where so, she and Laura had been fighting. She and Nancy were in a weird spot. Her paper was in a weird spot. She had been basically, like, at one point was like, God, I don't want to talk to you anymore because her family's religious debate made her feel like well, I shouldn't even talk to God, and sort of, like, her experience had pulled her away from that, so her getting her period sort of made her feel okay talking to God again. Like, it, everything sort of was in this weird sort of just-before-ending phase, so it wasn't quite done, which is a lot, like you said, like life. Yeah, it was, on one hand, I really enjoy it as, like, a thing to do, because I feel like it's very bold and, like, interesting, but on the other hand, like, I want to know what happened to her! (laughs) Yeah, I would love a sequel to this. I feel like it would be really interesting to see what she did with all this information she got in this book and sort of how she grew and where that went. Um, yeah. And especially because so many, like, I feel like, I feel like Judy Bloom does have several series, like The Tales of a Fourth Grade Nothing, so it wouldn't have surprised me to know there was a sequel. I'm just not familiar with one. Yeah. She also, right before the book ends, like, before she gets her period she has this one conversation with so she has a crush on this dude who nancy hates so she never wants to admit she has a crush and she's talking to him because nancy had told her a fake rumor that laura was like making out with him behind the amp and she like talks to him about it and he kind of like walks her through like did you ever think that maybe that's not true and she's like oh yeah like like comes this realization and I love this bit of dialogue, and I think it also is very, like, this is what all the dialogue is like. Where it's, like, it's got a sense of humor about it. It's maybe not, like, laugh-out-loud funny, but it's just, like, a good, like, flow and stuff. Uh, Moose kept talking. Well, next time, don't believe it unless you see it. Now, if you move out of my way, I got things to do. I didn't move. You know what, Moose? I asked. What now? I'm sorry I thought you were a liar. You know what, Margaret? Moose asked me. No, what? You're still in my way! <laughs> I think that the flow of it, it did take me a little bit to kind of get into this because it is written a little bit at a lower grade level. And sometimes it feels like it's written more for adults, which I think I figured out was more just because sometimes the way they speak feels more old-timey to me, Mm -hmm. which is probably true to how kids spoke in the 70s, but it just feels a little bit more dated. But even though it is written at kind of like a younger level and stuff, you get into it so fast and the dialogue is still just like that where it's like it's great and it it has a great rhythm and there are funny beats and like and it feels very true like how people really speak Mm -hmm. and think yeah this was great yeah this was a delightful read (laughs) so if you were going to rate it what would your rating be i really liked it i'm gonna give it like an 8.5 maybe you know what yes no that's perfect I don't know if I'll go, again, back to the rereadability. I'm so glad I read it and I had such fun. I don't know if I'll read it again, at least for a long time, but I had a delightful time. And I, again, it was very short and um, a little bit at a lower level, as I was just saying. So I think it's not like a perfect book for me in terms of 10 stars, but I definitely, I really, really enjoyed this, which was also very unexpected. Yeah. I think I'm going to give it actually slightly lower than you, which is weird. Uh, I'm going to give it a 7.5 because I think the writing is amazing. Judy Bloom is so good. 
But honestly, like, it's not my favorite Judy Bloom. And for the same reason, I think that I won't necessarily reread this. Like, I had a really good time reading it. I really loved it. But it is still in some ways not as accessible to me. And it's something where I don't feel like I would have the urge to go read it again. Like, I feel like there are others of her books I might do first. Um, but oh, I did really enjoy it. Like, I really think it's a great book. I would recommend it to, you know, like, if you haven't read in a while, maybe give it a reread if you have kind of a cozy, if you have a cozy at rainy afternoon. Oh, no, I'm recommending this to everyone. Okay. But actually, specifically adults. Like, yeah, sure, throw it at a ch- kid, like a child. I don't think it'll hurt them. Um, I'm not sure they will get it as much though but I think that if you're an adult reading this I read this on Kindle and the thing at the beginning said the average time it takes to read it is two hours yeah so it's like spend two hours of your life yeah read this remember how complicated it is to be a kid like if you're not a girl this is how complicated it was to be a girl I cannot speak for how complicated it was to be a boy as I did not have that experience growing up there's another Judy Bloom book for that we'll read that later <laughs> But, I, you know, it's worth two hours of every adult's life, to, I think, to just be like, oh, yeah, things were shitty. <laughs> like, <laughs> no, I think that's a great point. I think we've definitely had books written since that also do capture sort of the complicated parts of being a girl. And I think there are also some really other good books now that also hit in a sort of different kind of intersectionality of yeah. different ways, you know, that growing up is. So, like, I do think this is still a good book for kids, but I do think especially, yeah, it's a great book for adults, especially to help you remember and I think empathize with when kids are going through things yeah. more and be like, no, they and- have a lot going on. Like, cut them yeah. some slack. So I think, yeah, in that sense, it's great for adults to read to remember, like, oh, yeah, being being gro- girl growing up is hard. <laughs> and, like, it's fun and fast. Yeah. And, like, you'll identify a lot with the parents and stuff, too. Like, you know what? I really do. I was, like, reading this and I was like, I think y'all should read or reread this as an adult. Plus, like, yeah, you tell your friends, oh, yeah, I'm reading that right now. Your friends will be like, oh, my God, I'm going to read that, too. Yeah, like, make, have a book club. Make all your friends. We obviously have a lot of thoughts. I think if you make your friends read this, like, all of you can go out for drinks and spend the entire night being like, and this? Like, <laughs> <laughs> Share all your embarrassing kid stories with your friends. Like, tell them what it was like for you when you were growing up. Hear their stories about, you know, the time they got period in the middle of English class and, you know. <laughs> had to run out and like yeah like tell those stories to your yeah. friends hear what their growing up was like you know yeah. i definitely recommend reading this this yeah. was and like i said it was an unexpected delight i did not remember loving it that much as a kid maybe this is more a book for adults like i don't know, I don't know. but it's i had so much fun go out and read this yes so yeah we both want you all to read this adults bring this in your life Um, So I think that's everything on this book, but I do have a little bit of other business to attend to. Um, First off, I want to say thank you to all the lovely people that reviewed us on iTunes. You guys are the best. My sad pleas into the night meant that you all wrote really nice things and made us feel really (laughs) happy. And I told Emily and she read them. Yeah. So thanks, first of all, to our number one fan, Holly F., who is the best. Um, Also, I want to give a shout out to Jax the Awesome, who is in fact awesome. Less Adventurous, who I would say is also more adventurous. Uh, Hemecast, uh, our friends over at the Happily Ever Aftermath podcast, who are super rad. Uh, LexMax75, thank you so much. And Something Cheeky, who is in fact Something Cheeky. Um, you guys all super made our day. It was super great. Um, if you got this far through this long episode and enjoyed it, you know, go on iTunes and review us and totally make me have a delightful day. If you didn't like it, I got other podcast recommendations. Just tweet me and I will give them to you. So, you know, you can also find us. Um, uh, we're on Spotify. So you, if you want to follow, like, listen there, you can. Fancy. You can t- I know, right? You can tweet us at throwbackbspod if you want to get on Twitter and talk to us. And tell us what you, tell us what you think of Judy Bloom's books. Tell us what you think of this book. I would love to hear about what your experience was with this book. Tell us what Judy Bloom book you think we should read next because I have a very strong opinion on which one I want to read. I have so. a couple feelings but nothing super strong. So yeah, if there's a Judy Bloom book you want us to cover, let us know because we're definitely going to hit up a few more throughout the course of this podcast because I think it's impossible not to. Also, you can email us if you would rather provide your information that way. Uh, throwbackbookstack at gmail.com. Uh, We got a great email from Katie at the TFGIF podcast. They're super great. I would recommend 
if you're into nostalgia, um, they cover 90s TV shows and it's really great. They are why I had to go out and rewatch the first season of The Adventures of Pete and Pete, so I blame them for that Saturday afternoon lost. Um, it was well worth it. Um, but she gave us some great recommendations for other books to look at, um, which I'm excited about. And so yeah, email, Twitter. I don't know, I'm not on the internet. <laughs> Um, you also, our music is uh, Heartbreaker by Jazar, betterwithmusic.com. And in two weeks, we will be back with you. We will be discussing Lawrence Yep's The Serpent Children. Bam! Is that the name? Yeah, it is. Is there an apostrophe S? Yeah, it's The Serpent's Children. Oh, sorry. Like, the say... Serpent Has Children. Okay. So we were, we were talking about Lawrence Yep's The Serpent's Children. Uh, so I hope you all join us all in two weeks. Bye. Bye. <laughs>